Have you ever seen something you couldn't explain? Something that defied the laws of physics and any rational logic? What if you believed that that something was a threat to your country? Or even the entire human species? But everyone else just thought you were crazy? How far would you go to convince the world to see something it would rather ignore? Welcome to Whistleblowers, a Spotify original from Parcast. In this series, we explore the biggest lies in history through the eyes of the whistleblowers who risked everything to expose them. Today, we're telling the story of Luis Elizondo, the counterintelligence official who put his reputation on the line to share information the Pentagon tried to hide. This is a story that changed our understanding of the world we live in. And for the first time in this series, it's also a story that calls a whistleblower's real motivations into question. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hi, I'm going to whisper some things to you now about Crunch Chocolate Bars. Because apparently this whispering thing is a thing that makes you feel things. It's saying something crunchy is coming in the candy wrapper language. Mm. Imagine your tongue hiking up those crispy, rocky ridges. Now, drum roll, please. Wow, that's good. Crunchy, munchy chocolate doesn't whisper. Turn up the fun with Crunch. When 25-year-old Alex Dietrich got into her fighter jet, she was prepared for anything. The U.S. Navy pilot lieutenant commander had practiced dodging anti-aircraft missiles and could execute incredibly dangerous aerial maneuvers without batting an eyelid. She'd been trained to stay calm under pressure and knew when to trust her instincts versus her instruments. But on one sunny November afternoon in 2004, Alex wasn't expecting to use any of that training. She and her boss, Commander Dave Fravor, along with the weapons systems officers in their back seats, were just flying their jets out on a routine training exercise off the coast of San Diego, California. They weren't even armed. When their aircraft carrier base radioed that one of the Navy ships below had seen something they wanted the pilots to take a look at, Alex wasn't concerned. But then the radio operator said something unusual. The ship's radar had caught an object traveling at 80,000 feet. That's twice as high as any commercial airplane usually goes. The object had then dropped down to the ocean's surface in a matter of seconds. Traveling that distance, even at speed, should take minutes. 
even the highly experienced Commander Fravor was stumped. As they changed course and flew their jets toward the coordinates, none of the team even speculated about what they'd find. They'd been trained to deal in facts, to face a situation as it happened. When they arrived at the location, the air was clear, and the ocean below them was calm and blue in every direction. A perfect day. Except for one thing. There was one spot of ocean where the water was churning violently, making white-capped waves. Alex and her team peered down. It almost looked like there was something hovering just under the surface of the water. Something about the size of a 737 jet, but they couldn't get a good look at it. And then, at the exact same moment, they all saw something else. Way below them, just above the churning water, a jet-sized object that looked like a huge white tic-tac was bouncing around. Over the radio, Alex heard the normally unflappable Commander Fravor gasp. Her heart started to pound. The object didn't seem to be obeying the laws of physics. It was moving at random, with no discernible pattern. But strangest of all was the fact that it seemed to have no acceleration or deceleration, and it had no visible means of propulsion. They'd learned everything there was to know about aerial movement, and as far as they knew, this was physically impossible. Commander Fravor announced he was going to get a closer look. As he spiraled slowly down, approaching the object, Alex circled her plane above, keeping an eye on him. All she could think was how vulnerable she felt. Her job was to be her boss's wingman, to protect him in case he encountered a hostile enemy. But here he was, approaching an entirely unpredictable threat they had never encountered before, and she didn't even have any weapons. Suddenly, the object flipped around, as if it had spotted the plane closing in, and started rising to meet it. Now Alex's heart was hammering. No aircraft she'd ever seen could move like that. The way it had just abruptly descended at speed, it seemed completely unconstrained by gravity. As it approached, Commander Fravor leveled off, aiming to get a closer look. The object pulled up in front of him, almost mirroring his movements. It was at least as big as his plane, and he couldn't see any cockpit or windows. Alex watched from above. For a second, no one dared to breathe. If this thing wanted to take them out, it absolutely could. And then, just like that, it was gone. Well, sort of. Five seconds later, the same ship that had been tracking the object on radar found it again. 60 miles away. At Alex and her team's predetermined rendezvous point. The ship's chief quickly scrambled another plane, this one equipped with camera technology, to see if they could record footage of the object. In the meantime, the aviators headed back. The whole situation was utterly bizarre. There was no plausible explanation, and they had no evidence to back up their story. How would anyone believe them? By the time they returned to the ship... The news had spread like wildfire. 
It wasn't long before their shipmates were walking around wearing tinfoil hats and playing Men in Black on the ship's TVs. These were just practical jokes, for the most part, until questions about Alex's intelligence came into play. If people doubted her ability to carry out serious missions, her career would be over. And so she filed the memory away. She told herself that maybe it was just a one-off thing and nothing to worry about. After all, as far as she knew, no one else before or since had ever seen anything quite like this. But that wasn't true. Four years later, someone at the Pentagon would finally take Alex's report seriously. And when he realized it wasn't a one-off, he would make sure everyone else did, too. In 2008, Department of Defense intelligence officer and U.S. Army veteran Luis Elizondo was asked what he thought of UFOs. Lou, as he's known, shrugged and replied that he didn't think about them at all. That disinterest seemed to qualify him to join a department he'd never heard of, the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, or ATIP. At the time, Lou was in his mid-30s. He'd been born in Florida to a Cuban dissident who had fought against Castro and went on to join the U.S. military. When asked about his career, he tended not to give too many specifics. He'd say he'd worked around the world in everything from counter-espionage to counter-narcotics and counter-terrorism. He'd faced down and handled almost every kind of threat the U.S. government had encountered. Above all, he dealt in facts and practicalities. Fantasy got you nowhere in intelligence work. Which is why, when he was briefed on the work he'd be doing at this ATIP department, Lou raised his eyebrows. Because ATIP looked into the kinds of aerial encounters that couldn't be explained. Things that sounded a lot like UFOs. Things Lou absolutely didn't believe in. But when his country asked him to serve, Lou always stepped up. And so he took the job, despite his skepticism. As he started to get up to speed, Lou read through pages and pages of reports on UFOs, which were now known as Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, or UAP. Most of these reports came from military pilots like Alex and her team. Many of the accounts were similar. These were geometrically shaped objects, often cubes, pyramids, or oblongs. Sometimes there was more than one, and they moved through the air in ways that were beyond human capabilities, often over the ocean. Some reports even contained videos which corroborated the stories. And strangest of all, these accounts went back decades. Lou's team's job was to discover if there was any other explanation for each of these, and in some cases, there were. Some objects turned out to be balloons, weird weather phenomena, drones, or stealth aircraft from either the U.S. or other countries. At first, Lou told himself that even the most bizarre UAP incidents would be solved eventually, if they worked hard enough. But by 2010, two years after he joined the team, he wasn't so sure. 
By then, he'd been made head of the department, and he was the point person not just for pilots, but for experienced and respected admirals and ship's captains to report incidents to. And some of the stories he was hearing and the videos he was seeing, well, they just couldn't be written off. There was no explanation for the way UAP were spotted moving equally easily through both water and air. There was no explanation for the way these objects seemed to mess with time and space. One hovered near a jet for 30 minutes, according to the pilot's watch. But when they checked the plane, it had only used five minutes worth of fuel in that time. And scarier still, there was no explanation for why another pilot, who got close to an object, was left with radiation burns. Or rather, there was an explanation. Lou knew there had to be. There always was. But it defied anything he'd ever known. This was technology that outstripped the U.S. government's by light years. If whoever controlled it turned hostile, Lou realized there would be no stopping them. Coming up, Lou discovers that his bosses would rather ignore the problem. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by The Weather Channel. The key to solving any mystery? Smart decisions based on the facts. In the case of the weather's effect on your well-being, turn to the Weather Channel app. It clues you in on how weather shapes your mood, health, and productivity with insights built on reliable forecast data to help you thrive. Because mystery belongs in true crime, not weather. Be a force of nature with the Weather Channel app. By 2012, Lou Elizondo had been working in a secret Pentagon department called the ATIP for four years, investigating unidentified aerial phenomena, or UAP. He'd come to realize that these UAP were a serious possible threat that required investigation. The technology that these objects demonstrated was far more advanced than anything the U.S. had developed, and no available intelligence suggested that other countries had developed this kind of tech either. As far as Lou was concerned, these objects were a threat. Technology that advanced getting so close to U.S. aircraft was dangerous, no matter how you spun it. But when he took his concerns up the ladder, Lou was shocked to discover that his bosses at the Defense Department weren't interested in looking into this any further. In fact, the ATIP was being defunded. It turned out that the department had only been created at the behest of a few senators. Most people in the Pentagon felt it was a waste of time and money. Five years earlier, in 2007, Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid had floated the idea with two other senators, Ted Stevens of Alaska and Daniel Inouye of Hawaii. They all agreed that UAP should be looked into, 
But they knew it would be a PR nightmare if people heard the U.S. government was investigating UFOs. So they hid the money for the initiative in the regular Defense Department budget, something known as black money. There would be no record of the ATIP, and most of the U.S. government would never even know it existed. But by 2012, as Lou was looking for support, the Pentagon's senior leadership had had enough of the initiative. Most of them had never liked the idea in the first place. Besides, the ATIP had raised lots of questions, but hadn't provided any answers. Lou and his team refused to give up. Their investigation was just getting started. They couldn't go back to the many military personnel who trusted them with their experiences and tell them that the government didn't care. So the ATIP decided to carry on without any dedicated funding. After all, they were still Department of Defense employees. Most of them simply did the work alongside the new jobs they were assigned to. Knowing they had the support of the Senate Majority Leader didn't hurt, either. But it was hard going. Without funding, the department could do little more than keep track of statements and try to figure out which sightings had rational explanations. What they really needed was another undeniable encounter, one that would make the Pentagon leadership sit up and take notice. And in 2014, two years after their funding was cut, Lou was sent a report that seemed to tick all the boxes. In late 2014, two Navy pilots were flying their jets over the ocean off the coast of Virginia. They were completing their exercises as normal and were flying alongside each other in tandem when suddenly they were face-to-face with something, something that was moving towards them at incredible speed. As the object got closer and closer to them, they both braced for impact But at the last moment, the object adjusted its course and flew right between them, missing both jets by just a few feet. The pilots said the object was unlike anything they'd ever seen before. It looked like a large sphere with a cube inside it. How it flew was beyond them. Their colleagues suggested it could be part of a secret U.S. drone mission. But the pilots couldn't believe the military would put its staff in danger like that. Worried that a real collision was imminent, the team sent a report to Lou Elizondo's team at the Pentagon. When Lou received the report, he felt sure that it would finally be enough to get the people at the top to listen to him, reopen ATIP, and give him the funding he needed to investigate these reports. Instead, he was ridiculed. His warnings about this next-generation technology were dismissed, and the pilot's claims went uninvestigated. In 2017, after five years of taking statements, investigating UAP, and banging his head against the wall with his bosses, Lou reached his breaking point. He felt that the very people in charge of the security of the United States were ignoring a huge possible threat because of their own biases. Never mind that the UAP had never been hostile. It was the Pentagon's job to analyze threats before they happened. Over the years, he had come to believe that this issue was far bigger than any threat from other countries. 
This was technology beyond anything humans had ever seen. There was enough evidence to know that something very bizarre was going on, and it required further investigation. So that spring, Lou used his authority to quietly declassify three videos of UAP encounters, including the one taken by the follow-up plane in 2004, after Alex and her team's Tic Tac experience. He said they were for training purposes, so that military pilots would know that this stuff had happened and what it looked like, in case they saw something similar. And then, on the 4th of October 2017, Lou resigned from the institution he had so proudly dedicated 22 years of his life to. He wrote his resignation letter directly to the Secretary of Defense, General James Mattis, whom he had tried to brief. He wanted to use his resignation as a moment of protest. In his letter, Lou laid out his concerns that a possible existential threat to U.S. national security was being ignored. When his letter elicited no response or action, according to his friends still at the department, Lou decided he had no choice but to do something that to most government officials was unthinkable. He went to the press. Through a fellow former Department of Defense official, Christopher Mellon, Lou connected with a freelance journalist named Leslie Keene. Upon hearing his story, she in turn went to a journalist who had a relationship with the New York Times. The Times commissioned the story, partnering the two freelancers with one of their most experienced Pentagon correspondents, Helene Cooper. When their story came out in December 2017, along with the videos Lou had declassified, It reverberated around the world, with headlines like, We May Not Be Alone, and Pentagon's Mysterious UFO Program. Plenty of people had suspected that the U.S. government had investigated UFOs in the 1950s and 60s. But most people also figured that any investigations had been shut down and dismissed as fantasy. The fact that the government had so recently spent millions of dollars funding a secret UFO department was astonishing and worrying. Clearly, there was stuff out there that they couldn't explain, and there were videos to prove it. But it wasn't just the public that took note. Despite the fact that Lou wasn't technically revealing anything unclassified and went to great lengths to insist that there was a lot he couldn't talk about, the U.S. intelligence community didn't take kindly to him sharing government secrets. Having spent his career in counterintelligence, Lou was by nature wary and a bit paranoid. Now that he'd gone public with something that a lot of powerful people didn't want to talk about, he was constantly on edge. The article had forced the Pentagon to publicly acknowledge the ATIP's existence, though it insisted that the program had been closed in 2012. Lou's friends, who still worked at the Pentagon, warned him that he'd angered some very high-level people. He needed to watch his back. But it was worse than that. Lou claims that one senior Department of Defense official got in touch to tell him to back down. If he didn't, the official threatened to tell people that he was mentally unstable, which could result in the security clearance he still held being downgraded or revoked entirely. Most former government security experts retain their levels of clearance after leaving government service in order to work for government contractors. 
If Lou lost his top-level security pass, he would struggle to find work. And then, one night, several months after he'd left the Pentagon, Lou says he got a call from a friend. The friend had heard that the FBI were going to come raid Lou's house at any moment. Lou panicked. He jumped out of bed and woke his family. Then he printed out all the emails he had relating to his work at the ATIP. Grabbing the papers, he ran next door to his neighbor's house. He had to hide them somewhere the FBI wouldn't get them. If they took his only evidence, then he really would look crazy. Thinking fast, he stashed the papers inside his neighbor's outdoor barbecue. There was no way anyone would think to look there. Lou went back home and waited with his family for the inevitable knock on the door and the ransacking of their home. It never came. But Lou would never fully relax again. Constantly looking over his shoulder, he became convinced that he had to get the word out as widely and quickly as possible before his adversaries in the Pentagon found a way to silence him. Not only was it his only hope for himself, but it was also the best chance he had of convincing the government to seriously investigate the matter. And so, over the next few years, Lou became a public figure. He joined an entertainment company called To the Stars Academy of Arts and Sciences, founded by Blink-182 frontman Tom DeLonge, and starred in a History Channel series about UAP. He did numerous television interviews, evangelizing about the need for further research into these unidentified objects. And yet, the better known he became, the more people questioned whether they could trust him. And then... In 2019, an article was published that made shocking allegations against Lou that at the time of recording, he is still working to disprove. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. On June 1st, 2019, The Intercept, a respected investigative news outlet, published an article that claimed that there was no discernible evidence that Lou Elizondo had ever even worked for ATIP, let alone run it. They alleged that they could find no one from the Pentagon who would go on the record stating that Lou had been involved at all. The article went on to suggest that Lou and others involved with To The Stars Academy were either grifters or running some sort of black ops campaign. The piece also hinted that the people Lou was now working with to spread the word about UAP were not objective. Instead, they were longtime collaborators and ufologists who funded and supported each other's work. Even the original journalist for the New York Times piece, Leslie Keen, had a personal research interest in UFOs. Other journalists at the New Republic and the New York Times started to question Lou Elizondo's credibility too. He'd become well-known when he publicly blew the whistle and seemed to be making money from his TV appearances, 
Had he just been paving the way for a media career all along? Now the public were split in their opinions of him. Some thought he was the real deal, a whistleblower exposing the truth. Others thought he was a fraudster, out to make a few dollars. Still others thought he was just another UFO kook. And some were disappointed he hadn't gone far enough, hoping for revelations of alien corpses and government conspiracies. But Lou insisted that he had worked at ATIP, and that his only goal was moving the needle of public opinion, enough to force the government to take the issue seriously. In interviews, he maintained that whatever was going on had profound implications for humanity. And as long as encounters with UAP were treated as fantastical and absurd, they could never be properly studied and analyzed. If people were embarrassed to admit they'd seen something they couldn't explain, then valuable information was being ignored. He wanted to normalize the conversation. And although he was being heavily criticized from all angles, in the two years since he'd gone public in the 2017 New York Times article, he had done just that. People had started to talk about UAP from a scientific perspective, and not just like they were crazy conspiracy theories. And then, in 2019, colleagues of the pilots who'd had the near collision with the cube inside a sphere went public and described their own strange encounters, too. With the release of this story, alongside many others, the clamor for more public information only got louder. The American people wanted to know what was going on. Finally, in 2020, the U.S. government caved to the pressure. That summer, the ATIP was officially resurrected and named the UAP Task Force. But this time, it was going to have to be more transparent. Senators were frustrated that they'd been kept in the dark last time, and they wanted more reports from the Pentagon. They also wanted to know what other information the intelligence services had been sitting on. Lou was thrilled. Finally, things were being taken seriously. And he was happier still when the senator's reports unearthed controversial information, information that would validate Lou's efforts. The government finally admitted that after World War II, it had set up initiatives to investigate encounters with unidentified aerial phenomena. Starting in about 1947, reports of high-tech flying objects had been pouring in from around the country. The more press coverage the sightings got, the more reports the government received. Naturally, the government's first concern was that an adversary like the Soviet Union had developed technology that far outstripped that of the United States. This had to be investigated. Soon, though, the CIA began to develop another fear. A large percentage of these reports were quickly proven to have rational explanations, but that wasn't stemming the tide. This widespread belief in UFOs was starting to mean that people thought anything unfamiliar in the sky must be of extraterrestrial origin. The CIA feared that this would allow actual Soviet spy planes to fly over the U.S. and slip through the cracks as UFOs, rather than be spotted as enemy activity. In other words, the very fact that Americans believed in UFOs could be a threat to U.S. national security. 
As a result, the government security services launched an initiative to discredit the very idea of UFOs. By the late 1960s, they had succeeded in shifting public consensus. Most people thought that unidentified flying objects were nonsense, spotted and reported only by kooks and conmen. And yet, at the same time, the government quietly continued to investigate reports and found that about 700 out of approximately 12,000 simply couldn't be explained away. When all of this information came out in 2020, Lou felt vindicated. The government knew UAP needed to be investigated. He and the rest of the American people had simply been duped by a Cold War initiative. But for the U.S. Senate and the rest of the country, the issue was more complicated. If the intelligence services had run an operation in the past to convince people not to believe in UFOs, who was to say that they weren't now running one to get people to believe in them, for some purported national security reason? And where did Lou really fit into all this? What did he stand to gain? The Senate gave the new UAP task force 180 days to investigate more recent sightings. They were told to gather and analyze information from across all government agencies. It would then be decided if further action was needed. In the meantime, Lou would simply have to wait and hope that the report proved him right. But over the next few months, he struggled. He'd hoped that the government's public acknowledgement of the ATIP would protect him from further reputational damage. Instead, work was drying up, and serious journalists were treating him like a conspiracy theorist. His spy instincts told him that his adversaries in the Department of Defense might be behind it. He claimed that his life and his family's lives were made very difficult by senior officials in the agency who were trying to discredit, undermine, and threaten him in retaliation for his whistleblowing. He had revealed nothing classified, but they were still coming after him. Finally, in spring 2021, Lou had had enough. He decided to take action to defend his reputation. He hired a famously combative and provocative lawyer, someone who had defended the New York Times over the Vietnam Pentagon Papers and represented one of the Watergate burglars. The lawyer also happened to firmly believe in aliens and UFOs. On the 3rd of May, Lou filed a 64-page complaint with the Pentagon's Inspector General under the Whistleblower Protection Program and waited to find out if the independent watchdog would take any further action. At the same time, Lou also sought help from one of his most powerful allies, former Senator Harry Reid. To support Lou, Reid wrote a public letter backing up Lou's resume. Lou was the real deal, he said. Not only had he been a leader of the ATIP, but the two had worked together investigating UAP during the senator's tenure. And yet, the skeptical articles continued. Lou struggled to be taken seriously by anyone with any real clout. The majority of the people who wanted to talk to him were self-proclaimed ufologists, well outside the mainstream of society. As tough as Lou found things, though, 
the conversation around him was changing. Later in spring 2021, former President Barack Obama admitted in an interview that there was footage and records of objects in the skies and that the U.S. government didn't know exactly what they were. He encouraged serious investigation into the subject. And then naval pilots Alex Dietrich and Commander Fravor went public about their encounter with the tic-tac-shaped UAP in 2004. Like President Obama, they were sober, intelligent people who gave further credibility to the issue. Finally, in July 2021, the UAP task force report came out. Lou held his breath, hoping that enough information would be released to restore his reputation, or at the very least, convince the government to treat UAP as a legitimate national security concern deserving of proper funding. At first, the report seemed like it might be exactly what Lou was hoping for. It admitted that of the 144 UAP reports the task force investigated, it could only explain one. The rest were beyond current technological or rational understanding. The report also described events that aligned with what Lou often discussed. Flying objects that appeared to remain stationary in winds, move against the wind, maneuver abruptly, or move at considerable speed without discernible means of propulsion. Some even affected military vessels with radio frequency energy. But that was about the extent of the report's usefulness. The report itself admitted that the government's lack of interest over the years meant that there wasn't enough information about these UAP to draw any valuable conclusions. All it could say was that these UAP almost certainly weren't developed by the U.S. or other countries, and that they needed to do way more work to study them. Which was exactly what Lou had been saying all along. He had to wait a few more agonizing months to find out that, finally, the U.S. government had decided to allocate more funds to the UAP task force. As it stands, in early 2022, their plan is to establish a new permanent office in the Department of Defense to investigate UAP and their physical effects on humans. The office will also have to give an annual report to Congress. Determined to do everything he can to support the office's creation, Lou has spent most of his time in recent months briefing lawmakers, hoping to convince them to support the initiative. He argues that this is about more than national security and is in fact an opportunity for international collaboration. As for the complaint he and his lawyer sent to the inspector general, Lou is still waiting to hear whether it will be investigated or not. In the meantime, he has continued to elevate his public profile, selling a book in a bidding war and attending thought leader events. While he initially declined to offer theories about the UAP, he has started to posit ideas about multiple dimensions and the bending of space and time. But he still maintains he can't talk about everything he knows. 
To some, Lou seems to court the spotlight, reveling in his newfound fame and saying whatever it takes to hold the public's attention. They still question his credibility and his ultimate goals. But to others, Lou's real motivations aren't important. Whether his priority is fame or protecting humanity from unknown threats, his efforts force the government to acknowledge UAP sightings, which is something many never thought possible. Thanks for listening. You can find all episodes of Whistleblowers and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. We'll be back next week with a new episode about the world's biggest lies and the people who expose them. For more information on the U.S. government and unidentified aerial phenomena, amongst the many sources we used, we found the New Yorker article How the Pentagon Started Taking UFOs Seriously by Gideon Lewis Krauss extremely helpful to our research. Whistleblowers is a Spotify original for Parcast, produced in partnership with Stable. Executive produced by Drew Cole, Max Cutler, Becky Jacobs, and David McGuire. Developed for podcast by Julian Boireau. Written by Kate Thorman. Produced by Alice Homewood. Mixed, mastered, and sound designed by Rowan Bishop for Stable. And hosted by me, Pat Rodriguez. 